Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag healthy you, wealthy you. Well, I'm not feeling sick and tired, and I'm actually feeling pretty good. Had a wonderful, wonderful long weekend in Cape Town, back in Joburg now, um, at the Grindstone, um, with a, a, a rather sunny day, much better than Cape Town. Cape Town's weather was quite schizophrenic. Good morning, Faggy. Good morning, Adel. Welcome back. <laughs> yes, I mean, I could have stayed longer, you know. I think the, the grounding and the, you know, being in the sea and walking on the promenade, I'm sure you did, being in the sunshine. Yes. Although you said there wasn't that much sunshine. Well, I don't know. It, 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 it had its moment. It was very much like a premenopausal woman, you know, one minute it was sunny, <laughs> then it was, it was cloudy, then it was foggy, then there was a bit of rain and then it was like smoiling hot. It was, it was, it was a bit weird, but yes. Um, for me, the sun and the sand and the sea just, just, they, they ground me. They fill me up. They, they, you know, recenter me. So it was an incredible opportunity. It's amazing how when we go on holiday, we always say, oh, we must do this more often. How yes. often do we have the opportunity to just, you know, pick up and leave in the middle of the, in the middle of the year to, you know, reset and, and get that energy back? Well, today we can, can't we? Like I, I took my computer with, um, I did Chai FM, we did, we did the show last week, I was in Cape Town. So it does allow you a little bit more flexibility, but I think it's important. And I think today we're going to be discussing a topic um, of, of, of something which I, I personally think is like such a benign name. And it's something that doctors give to patients because they don't know what else to say. And that is chronic Fatigue. It seems that chronic fatigue syndrome does occur more commonly in women. And, uh, if you, if, if, you know, it's just what, what is this disease? It, it basically is a disorder that is characterized by extreme fatigue or tiredness. It doesn't go away and it can't be explained by any underlying medical condition. And we've had many of our uh, participants on our WhatsApp group saying, can't you ask a doctor about this because my bloods are fine. So why am I feeling so terrible. So we've asked none other than Dr. Matara, Riaz Matara, to come back onto the show. He's a qualified cardiologist and physician. He's pioneered the Women's Heart Clinic. He's a founder member of the first uh, cardiovascular risk institute in, in Africa. And um, he's done a lot to help people look at their health from a more holistic uh, way. So welcome back to the show, Dr. Matara. Morning, Adel. Morning, Fagi. And good, good morning. morning to your listeners. And uh, thank you very much for having me back on. And thank you for giving us of your very, very, very precious time. We are, are very appreciative. Right. So let's let's kick off maybe, Doctor, with a... Uh, I don't know if I gave the right, uh, what's the, the right description about chronic fatigue. What is chronic fatigue? Your description was 100% correct, uh, Adel. It's just a question of, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome is like saying you've got the flu or you've got fibromyalgia or you've got heart mm-hmm. pain. You know, it's a descriptive term that gives you an indicator or tells you how you're feeling really for, for over a period of time. Now, remember, it's normal to feel tired or to feel fatigued. If you run a marathon, a 21K marathon, you're going to feel tired after that marathon. But that's a normal form of fatigue. So when we 
feel fatigued over a prolonged period of time. We call that chronic fatigue. And there are so many different reasons why that may happen to us, um, you know, that we can identify. Okay. Is it, before we get into identifying the various problems, is it something that's more common in women? Do you see that than men? Or is it across the board? Is it with specific age groups? So it's across all age groups. Um, I think more women present uh, to doctors complaining of chronic fatigue. I think most men assume, you know, maybe I'm just working too hard. And men always will present later uh, with these symptoms of uh, chronic fatigue. Women generally present earlier uh, because they've got so many other things going on. Uh, you know, you get hormonal changes during the month and things are not that consistent in the body compared to that in, in, in men. So, yes, you are right. Women generally do present more often with these symptoms of chronic fatigue, but we are seeing it across all ages and more and more and more uh, in the recent uh, past. Right. Okay, so let, let's, let's start going through what can cause uh, chronic fatigue. So, like everything else in, in medicine, you know, you either have a structural problem in your body or you have a functional reason for why you may feel fatigued or it may be a combination of uh, both. So, any chronic disease, anything that is wrong with your heart, with your lungs, with your liver, with your kidneys, if you're on dialysis, so any form of chronic disease generally will make people more fatigued. So those are the sort of common ones that we know about and most doctors uh, would look at. But it's really the functional reasons today uh, that are far, far more common uh, for creating this concept of chronic fatigue in us. So, so, so interesting. Adel, you know, when we first started this journey, we were discussing about going and having millions of blood tests done and understanding what was going on with our bodies and really delving into what, you know, what's going on. Um, and when I mentioned about the homeopath that I had seen, he went into the huge host of blood, of blood tests. And Dr. Matara at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, what is all of this? Not understanding half of the stuff that he was trying to, you know, tell us what was going on with my body. Um, and I didn't even know half of the, half of the names, like all these viruses and, um, it, it was, it was just nonstop, like Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr virus. Fasting insulin, obviously all of these things have a huge effect on us and understanding what exactly is going on with someone's body. I mean, thyroid hormones is also a huge, a huge link to chronic fatigue. So, yes, Peggy. So, you know, if we had to sort of break it down into the commonest reasons why people are fatigued today, okay, it's yes, thyroid conditions are exceptionally common. So an underactive thyroid or a slow thyroid will make you fatigued. Makes you sleepy all the time, you snore all the time, you gain weight, you're more likely to feel constipated, and so on. So thyroid conditions are exceptionally common. Uh, then there are many nutritional reasons why we may be fatigued. And we've discussed this before, that you know the food that we eat today doesn't contain the nutritional value that it may have 20 or 30 years ago. And our body has to react to these deficiencies, and that will create chronic fatigue. But by far the commonest reason why we are fatigued today relates to emotional reasons. Right? These are all the stresses that we 
have been facing in the past, but more so now with COVID, that people are facing over a prolonged period of time. And this is create, and we can go into how that actually creates uh, this concept of chronic fatigue. Okay, we are speaking to Dr. Riaz Matara. If you'd like to join the conversation and have a question or a comment on chronic fatigue, or anything related to it, you're most welcome on 34519. That is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. Um, we'll be back shortly. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. Um, we are speaking to Dr. Matara and we're chatting about chronic fatigue. So, Doctor, maybe we should start looking at the underlying viruses that might be roaming our bodies and giving us the this, this sense of exhaustion. Right. So, you know, this concept of viruses creating chronic fatigue is an, uh, is an old one. And when we never understood the science behind chronic fatigue, we assumed that it's related to viruses such as Kopsecki and Epstein-Barr virus uh, and so on. Right. So remember that almost 99% of our population have already been exposed to Epstein-Barr virus, which is commonly known as Kissing's disease, and you get big glands in your neck, uh, and Kopsecki virus. So we've been exposed to these viruses recurrently over, over many years. So it's not the Epstein-Barr virus or Kopsecki that's actually creating the um, chronic fatigue. It's the consequence of getting that virus and what that does to our immune system and our adrenal glands that actually creates the chronic fatigue. So Kopsecki virus and all other viruses are just one important cause, but not necessarily creating the chronic fatigue over many years. So, you know, we have to look at it very differently and take it a step back and look at how all forms of chronic stress, be it overtraining, be it emotional trauma, nutritional deficiencies, uh, financial stress, uh, environmental toxins and pollutants, how does that actually influence what's going on physiologically in our body to create all these symptoms? of chronic fatigue. And I think it's also important to mention that fatigue never occurs in isolation. There are many other symptoms that will go with fatigue that will indicate that your adrenal glands are functioning at a suboptimal level. And so that, what, what, what are those symptoms? So, you know, most people would experience this fatigue in the late afternoons and early evenings. They may crave for chocolates or sweet things at night. They don't tolerate noise or bright lights very well. Uh, joint aches, muscle pains, headaches, uh, dark rings around your eyes, um, difficulty falling asleep, or you fall asleep, but then you're getting up at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, and if you're not getting enough sleep, the whole process is just aggravated the next day. I mean, everything that we do in the day obviously has an effect on that, so we have to just be aware of, of what needs to be done in order to, to kind of support it. Absolutely. So it's really about creating balance in our lives in terms of understanding that, you know, if we're going to run an exercise in the morning and run for 20 kilometers in the morning, you have to do other things in your day to get enough rest and recovery. 
So we can't be running a, you know, a 20 kilometer run in the morning, then go to work, work a full day and have all the stresses that we get exposed to during the day, work at night and try to fall asleep at 11 o'clock at night and hope that our body is going to continue to manage that level of activity. So like everything else in life, the body requires that balance. That for me has been a very, very big thing that I've actually only learned now in the last while and with your guidance as well is that, you know, we feel so pressurized to do the exercises, to run around, to have all the output that we actually are not paying attention on recovery, on rest, on, on, you know, relaxing the body and bringing the body back to, to, to a state of, of relaxation. That is so true. You know, our physical bodies were never, ever designed for our lifestyle today. Mm. You, you don't see a lion get up in the morning and say to all the other lions, let's go for a jog. Right? <laughs> because they don't wear and tear on their joints and their body. Right? So I'm not saying exercise is a bad thing. I'm saying, you know, the right amount of movement and activity, but not overtraining necessarily, because all forms of stress, including what we would regard as normal stress, like excessive exercise, still is going to affect the body in a physiological way and deplete the body if we don't do the right things in terms of uh, adequate nutritional replacement, adequate rest and recovery. So uh, it's important to create that balance uh, in our lives. I keep going back to this genetic idea because and I know Adel, we speak about this a lot, but I feel like it does come to play with so many health issues or concerns that people have. And I know, for instance, like I've done genetic paneling recently, and I see that some people don't deal well with, um, you know, the environmental, uh, the toxins, and specifically that person doesn't deal well with the toxins at all. So people are obviously sensitive to things more than others. Like I, for instance, like I can't tolerate gluten at all. If I have gluten, I'll literally fall asleep on the couch. That is my chronic fatigue. Yeah, that's true, um, baby. Uh, you know, I mean, as I said, remember, our genes are the code that we have in our body that determines how our body will react, right? But again, it's both cause and effect. So whilst we may have a genetic tendency, you know, it's also related to what happens in our environment and how our environment influences little light switches in our DNA that then may cause the problem that you never had before. And, you know, the key thing around chronic fatigue syndrome is understanding this fine dance between what we call your stress hormones and anti-stress hormones. So things like adrenaline on the one side and two very important anti-stress hormones that many people don't look at. And these are cortisol, which is your natural cortisone, and another major anti I mean, hormone or anti-fatigue or anti-stress hormone, and probably one of the most important ones in the body called DHEA that come from our adrenal glands. And it's that imbalance between our stress and the anti-stress hormones that creates this chronic fatigue syndrome. So if you have too much adrenaline floating around in your blood for too long, that becomes toxic to our cells, right? It creates the mental fatigue, the muscle aches and pains, the stiffness, the palpitations, the anxiety, the lower immunity. 
So if your immune system is then low, you're more likely to get something like Epstein-Barr virus or a Coxsackie virus, which may then aggravate the chronic fatigue syndrome. So it's both cause and effect in many cases. I think that that is just so, so important. So if, if, if you balanced this whole, this whole, uh, parasympathetic and sympathetic system, would the, if you did have Epstein-Barr or you did have Coxsackie, would it just go away because then your, your body would be able to flush it out of the system? Yes. So remember, we have an unbelievable immune system, right? It is generally designed, uh, to help us fight these viral infections that we've been exposed to since the day we were born. So I think it's important for everybody to understand that we have something called the uh, microbiome. So the average adult has roughly 60 trillion cells in their body, and only 6 trillion are human. The remaining 54 trillion cells are bug, so bacteria and viruses. So we have over 240 million viruses that naturally live in our body. And the function of this microbiome is generally to protect all the other 6 trillion human cells uh, that we have. So when we have an imbalance in the system, in this entire microbiome or uh, system that's designed to protect us, then we're more likely to get external viruses entering the system. And the immune system is powerful enough to create antibodies to fight that infection. But the problem is that if you already have an immune system that is low, if you already have a system in our body that is functioning at a suboptimal level, then we're more likely to experience one thing after the other. I mean, how many times, Idol and Peggy, have you heard of somebody who goes on recurrent antibiotics and then they get a thrush or then they get another throat infection and it's one infection after the other? So for me, if you're going to approach something like chronic fatigue syndrome, you want to make sure that microbiome of yours is healthy. You want to make sure you're getting an adequate nutrition in the food that we eat. You want to make sure you're getting adequate rest and recovery. And then we've talked about it in the past, you know, things like breath work and breathing in the right way to create that balance between the stress and anti-stress system is absolutely crucial in a modern world. Mm. So inflammation obviously plays a huge role. Absolutely. Like with leaky gut and inflammation cause major issues. So, you know, it's all part of the same uh, thing, Peggy. Uh, so if you've got too much adrenaline floating around in your blood and if your immune system is weak, you're going to get a bug, you'll get a virus, uh, you may develop another autoimmune condition, and all of these things then drive what we talked about previously called chronic inflammation, right? Low-grade and chronic inflammation that we're not physically aware of but happening in the background that can also then influence our genes to create a disease. So the three pillars that we always look at, look at are inflammation, that is chronic, autonomic dysfunction, this imbalance between the stress and anti-stress system, and then hormonal imbalances. And you may have one or all three of these pillars going on at the same time in our body. And that's what then influences the little light switches in our DNA to create the disease. So we often, as doctors, get you when it's very late. Okay, we're getting you 
when you've identified certain signs or symptoms in your body that make you feel unwell. And then we're generally trying to give you a prescription to try and manage those symptoms. But the process has started really six steps before that. So I think it's important for people to understand what happens in their environment and get to their why right in the beginning to figure out the cure. So we've got we've got a question that's just come in, but I guess you're answering that. It says, hi, would PCOS contribute to chronic fatigue? Well, PCOS is like six steps down the line. Is that what you're saying? Correct. So by the time you've got PCOS, this process has already started a few years prior to that. right? So PCOS, for the listeners, is something called polycystic ovary syndrome. And every second young lady has got some degree of polycystic ovary syndrome today. And it's characterized by having higher insulin levels, which make you gain weight. Uh, it's characterized by hormonal imbalances where you have too many androgens or male hormones. So you may develop an oily skin, acne, um, you know, excess hair growth on the body. Uh, and you may have irregular menstrual periods and you're more likely to struggle with fertility. So, but again, you know, these things are the effects of a prior cause. And we can go into the reasons, as I said, you're going right up to the top to understand why do every second young lady today have polycystic ovary syndrome. And it's the same reasons for all forms of chronic disease. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's quite... <laughs> It, it, it's quite it's quite a, a big thing because I, I think to myself that the stuff that we need to do to keep us at a, a, a at a good level of health um, are just so hard to do, and that's why we just let go of it and we abuse our bodies, and then we do we present to the doctor with anything chronic, whether it's PCOS or you know any other autoimmune disease or cardiovascular disease or any anything anything that's around there. Absolutely. So I think for most of us, you know, it's, you know, when we are, when we're feeling sick that we go to the doctor and we identify a problem. But as I said, by the time I get somebody with a heart attack or angina or a narrowing in their artery, this problem has started 10 to 15 years prior to them actually coming to see us, right? And it's exceptionally hard, I think, in today's world to be able to eat healthily because it's we the food that we have available to us, unfortunately, for many reasons, doesn't have the same nutritional value that it had 20 years ago. All the salmon that we get today is all farmed salmon, right? Yeah. So it's a question of what are they feeding the salmon that then is going to influence what happens to the body. So. Go ahead. I, I was laughing with my sister the other day because she showed me a picture of all the supplements that she had to take. And I was saying how our diet should be supplements these days. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. So I think for me, the important thing is try and eat, you know, as green as possible in your diet. Try and eat what is in season, the fruit, you know. Look to buy fruit and veg or vegetables at least that still perhaps has sand on its roots so you know it's been picked or farmed <laughs> recently, right? Rather than being in cold storage and artificially ripened. And from time to time we may need to supplement 
uh, with uh, vitamins. I mean, the prime example of all of this is this whole COVID pandemic. All of us are taking vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc and quercetin, but we're not really asking why. You know, why are we taking all these vitamins to prevent COVID? Surely, you know, I mean, these vitamins have an important function for in terms of our immune system, right? So if we're replacing these vitamins, they have to be missing. And it's probably like that for all forms of vitamins and, 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 and uh, micronutrients that our body needs that unfortunately we're not getting in our food. And another interesting point is that if you look at COVID infections, it's really the middle class that are struggling with more severe COVID and getting more cases and getting more infections with COVID. So the question would be, is why are we as a middle class suffering with more and more of COVID infections? What's different in that group of patients, right? And it's got to do with the quality of food that we eat. Why are people with obesity more likely to get COVID infections? So it really goes to eating empty calories most of the time and eating healthily but eating nutritionally deficient food and that drops our immune system and then we're more likely to get ill and we're more likely to suffer with fatigue and a host of other symptoms and conditions as a consequence of having a lower immunity. I was listening to a podcast yesterday how this doctor was saying, test, don't guess. How do people get tested? Like, what would you suggest in terms of testing? I know it's a huge realm when it comes to chronic fatigue and vitamins, etc. Yeah, so the way I would approach anybody today, right, is to really look at these three pillars that we talked about. One is you want to measure your inflammation levels. It's such an easy, simple test to do. Uh, the second thing is that you can measure your autonomic function or your stress and anti-stress system today through a simple five-minute non-invasive test. And the third pillar would be to look at your endocrine or your hormonal system. So you may need to have a thyroid test and an insulin test. And uh, if you premenopause, look at your estrogen and progesterone levels. Uh, and so on. So you want to measure some of your hormonal levels, the common ones that are imbalanced today, and put this information together and then understand it in terms of the environment in which you live and work and the stresses that we are exposed to. Can we hold that thought? We're just going to go for a bit of a break before we do. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We are talking to Dr. Riaz Matara about chronic uh, fatigue syndrome. If you have a question or a comment, it's 34519. That's our SMS line, 061-8951019. So, Doctor, we were talking about the fact that we should have certain um, blood tests that would start to indicate where our um, imbalances are. We have one question that's just come through saying, aren't chronic fatigue syndrome symptoms not possibly undiagnosed depression because PCOS is very overdiagnosed? So that's a fascinating question, uh, Adel. So, you know, if you look at things like depression, well, you get clinical depression and then you get reactive depression, right, where 
many people are reacting to the circumstances or the stressors that we get exposed to emotionally in our lives. And many of the symptoms are generally the same. So many patients get um, diagnosed, I believe, incorrectly as depression because many people don't know what to do about these symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, many patients walk into their doctor's rooms and, you know, the question may be, oh, or the point may be, oh, not another depressed housewife. So let me prescribe an antidepressant when you are actually not necessarily chemically depressed. So you can't look at things in isolation, I believe. So yes, depression is important and yes, depression is a very real thing. But I feel that many patients are either overdiagnosed as being heavy or having depression when in fact they actually have chronic fatigue syndrome. And a simple blood test by measuring your DHEA and cortisol levels will show that in almost all patients with low, with, who are diagnosed with depression, their DHEA and cortisol levels are very low. And if you fix the DHEA and cortisol and help the, help the adrenal glands uh, balance out, many of the symptoms of depression actually disappear. So the problem is many patients end up on antidepressants and nobody can really tell you how long you need to be on them, whether it's lifelong, do you need to be on it for three months or six months. And these antidepressants then create the psychological dependency okay, on, on the medication. So if you're going to look at potential cures, because you're not always depressed, apart from a very small group of people that may be genetic in, okay, you're not always depressed. So the question is, how do we... How do you investigate? How do you identify this chronic fatigue syndrome? And how do you actually diagnose the depression? So for me, it's, it, it, it's sometimes patients come to see us and they're on four different drugs uh, for depression, right? And they can, they've been on it for years and years and years and they want to get off, but they're scared to go off it. So I think it's very important to look at what in our environment has triggered it. What was asked the why and the when question. Why do things affect us at a particular point in our life and not two years earlier or five years later? What in our environment, uh, what was the event or the emotions attached to that event that then triggered uh, this chronic fatigue syndrome or depression or any other disease for that matter. Again, uh, thinking out aloud, um, I think that uh, one of the, the, the downsides today, and this is not knocking all the, the incredible doctors we have and the skill that they have and the ability to heal us, is that we need to kind of like move into an arena where doctors look at, at patients far more holistically than just trying to deal with them symptomatically. I think, you know, to an extent, to a very large extent, the patient is responsible. You know, we haven't eaten properly. We, 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 you know, we've, we've abused our bodies. We haven't looked after ourselves. But then when we present ourselves, uh, you know, to a doctor, the doctor himself is not going and saying, well, stop now. Let's take a few steps back and let's put some fundamentals in place. But just rather it's a, you know, prescriptive thing. Yeah. Yeah, something for three months. Like, come back in three months and let me know how you feel. Yeah, I agree with you, Edel. There are some amazing doctors and colleagues out there who do do that, right? Who do take a good history and a good examination and look at your blood test and look at you more holistically. 
But sometimes also, I just think, you know, so many doctors are just so overworked and seeing so many patients mm. that perhaps maybe they don't have enough time to actually take uh, the time to understand you a little bit more holistically. Right. But even then, Dr. Matara, like you were discussing earlier about how, you know, during the day we have to do something, you know, take a break, uh, eat the right foods. That kind of stuff is really hard for most people. I don't know if it's, it's almost as easy to pop the pill. Absolutely. So I think, we, you know, we were just talking about it earlier uh, as well before the show, is that, you know, we understand what the problem is and why we get ill these days. But it's exceptionally hard for most people out there to follow a, uh, a good diet because it's just so expensive and you can't find grass-fed meat anywhere. And, you know, so eating organic and eating uh, as natural as possible is expensive for many people. You know, many people don't have the luxury of taking 10 minutes out of their day to meditate or to breathe. So, uh, so it's not an easy thing. And I think for me, if you can impact your life or change even 50% of uh, what we eat or how much exercise we do and how much time we spend on ourselves, you know, that will have a positive effect in terms of our health. So we don't need to go from one extreme to the other extreme to get well. You know, if we start with simple, small steps in our daily routine, and if there's 24 hours in a day and you're sleeping for six to eight hours, then what are we doing with the other 16 to 18 hours of the day? So there is time in a day to spend and give 30 minutes of your day to yourself uh, and to, to your well-being. And I think if you do small little steps, uh, Fadi, you know, this is possible. Dr. Masara, how would you link uh, sugar to chronic fatigue syndrome? Well, so that's a big one, right? So uh, just to give people a perspective, uh, prior to World War II, the average human consumed roughly two kilograms of sugar per year, mainly in the form of honey. You know, the average person on a Western diet today consumes 60 to 80 kilograms of sugar per year. <laughs> which is that, just crazy, right? Wow. Now, I mean, if we're consuming all this refined sugar and starch, our body has to make sense of that sugar in our blood to help control it. So we overwork our pancreas to produce too much of a hormone called insulin. And your body can only store so much sugar in your liver and your muscle uh, and your fat cell or in your liver and your muscle as glucose or something called glycogen. Once those stores are full, the insulin takes the excess sugar and converts it into fat which is then stored centrally in our body and outside our cells. So when we have this syndrome called insulin resistance, uh, the insulin levels are always high and the sugar levels are always low. So we're constantly craving for sugar and we can't concentrate or we have a meal and two hours later, we're now feeling tired, we can't concentrate, we feel like we need a nap, we start getting hungry, so we have something to eat sweet to eat again and the whole cycle is repeated so the entire day our sugar levels are going up and down and at the brain level at the mental level this makes us feel and in the physical level makes us feel 
fatigued and tired. I'm just tired. I'm just tired listening to that. Um, and I, I got to say, that's what I used to do. Um, eventually had to give up the sugar, sugar junkie, uh, yes. uh, you know, the, the, the addiction. But yes, it is. It's, it's a vicious cycle. We're going to go for a little bit of a break and we'll be back to wrap up shortly. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Dr. Matara, we've got a question here. Um, somebody just said, I missed which blood tests one should have. Can you please repeat what blood test one should start with? Yes. So you want to be able to measure your inflammation levels. You can do something simple called a highly sensitive CRP or C-reactive protein. And then on the hormonal side, you want to check your thyroid. You want to measure your insulin levels. At an adrenal gland level, you want to measure something called a DHEA and cortisol level in the morning. And if you're female, you want to look at your ovaries. If you're male, you want to look at your testosterone levels uh, from the testes. So those are simple. The other important tests to do today are things like vitamin B12. And in younger women, perhaps maybe an iron level iron levels to make sure that they're not too low. So testing these simple tests would give us an indication of what's low or what's excessive. And getting your hormonal system or endocrine system balanced, you will not believe how much more energy you have and how much better you can cope. And of course then that goes back to us coupling with you need to get rest, you need to stay get into a state of recovery, towards the end of the day um, and you need to eat well eat well and the, the truth is yes as we've spoken before it's not going from zero to a hundred it's very very difficult to do that and I think also our bodies would probably uh, react pretty badly um, to it but to start being conscious of what we're eating and not to eat empty calories to try find wholesome healthy foods that that you can see and you can uh, recognize it's being grown from the ground as opposed to, you know, going in and, and, and having these fruit and vegetables that you could see have been injected and lost three weeks in your in, in your fridge. Absolutely. So could not have said it better, Adel. I think the other important component uh, is, you know, you have to look at things today, uh, you know, very, very busy days like meditation uh, and breath work, perhaps maybe yoga as movement rather than high-intensity training, um, you know, Pilates and stretching, walking. So moderate exercise, because if your body is in a stressed state, many people think I'm unfit and I need to go out and run. And that actually makes the entire system worse. Mm, mm, absolutely. Dr. Matara, this has been an, in, an enlightening and, and, and really informative uh, a discussion we can see from from uh, our listeners, they too have enjoyed it, and I think that we've really touched the tip of an iceberg. Love to have you back, you know, to 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 carry on exploring this. But thank you in the meantime for today. We really do appreciate your time and your expertise. It was lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Adel. Thank you, Fagi. Thank and you, Dr. Matara, as usual. Thank you for the listeners and uh, to the listeners, and stay safe. Thank you, and thank you, Fergie. We'll be back again, I guess, next week. Yep. Absolutely. See you next week.